The journey on the London Underground from my apartment to the office where I worked was only 20 minutes, but that morning it seemed like hours. Anxiety will do that to you. It grabs the minutes and expands them until they are unbearably eternal. In the evenings on my way home, the clickety-clack of the wheels on the rails soothed me, rocked me gently towards and even into sleep. This morning, however, each clickety reminded me of the frightening task ahead. Each clack taunted me. The tube station nestled on the edge of a pocket park on the north bank of the Thames, about 400 yards from my Art Deco office building. Three days earlier, as I strode that quarter mile, I noticed a young man sitting on the street, huddled in a blanket, politely asking for money from passers-by. I was used to homeless people. This was London. It was 1990. I was so familiar with this sight that I became hardened to it. Blind, even. Apathy had grown scales over my eyes, so much so that I'd grown accustomed to not seeing. But if there was one tiny piece of my eyesight that had not become obscured by apathy, this man wandered into it and forced me to behold him. He was wearing surprisingly good clothes. He spoke with an educated accent. He had the look of a stranger to life on the street. He didn't belong there. And I passed him by. The next day he was there again, and the next, and I passed him by. By now, he had crawled inside my head, had squeezed his way into my eyes, and was chiseling away at those scales that time and apathy had grown. He whispered in my ear, bugging me with questions. Why was he on the street? Did he have a drink or drug problem? Was he mentally ill and unable to manage life in conventional society? Had he been abused or treated cruelly by his family and run away from home? Where did he come from? What was it like to be him, robbed of his dignity, his comforts, and the basic human right to have a roof over his head and food in his stomach? I needed to know. And so, after three days of trying to ignore him, that morning I was not going to walk past. I was going to give in to his nagging in my head and stop and unload my questions. I had to discover his story, to help him in some way recapture the divine spark in his soul which his circumstances had tried in vain to extinguish. And so, that Thursday morning, I got ready to go to work with purpose. I rehearsed what I was going to say in the shaving mirror. I sat on the train and imagined the conversation we'd have. I put a couple of pound coins in my pocket that I planned to give him, maybe walk with him around the corner to a coffee shop on the Strand and sit with him for a while. I stepped off the train with nervous energy. I strode up the escalator to embrace the dangerous opportunity God had given me. I emerged into the London morning and soon arrived at the shop doorway that had been home to this young man for the last three days. And he wasn't there. And he wasn't there the next day either. And I never saw him again.
Maybe he moved on to beg on a more lucrative street. Maybe he sought help or returned home. Maybe he was lying in a hospital, the victim of a mugging. Maybe, a few days later, the river police dragged his body from the Thames. I don't know. The only thing I know for sure is this. I was able to have compassion and act. I could have demonstrated God's love for him, and I didn't. So when I read the words of Jesus in this morning's gospel lesson, I wince. I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Today we reach the end of the church year. Next week is Advent, the start of a new Christian calendar. Over the last 12 months, we've read our way through Matthew's Gospel, and the people who compile the calendar of readings have left the most challenging to last. The sheep and the goats. This one hurts. The scene is the last judgment, and there is the Son of Man. And as he takes his seat, all the peoples of every nation and age are brought before him and separated. Some to enter the banqueting hall of God's kingdom, Jesus calls them sheep. And some to separation from God, Jesus calls them goats. The first thing that goes is your heart. It becomes closed, hard, calloused. Then, into some tight little crevice, a seed falls. It's the germ of apathy. You don't notice it at first. You're so busy enjoying the beauty, absorbing the spectacle, soaking up the show. Without realising it, you turn away from the challenge of encountering needy people. You shield your eyes and twist your head, and as you do so, the seed takes root and sprouts. In time, you remove yourself entirely from the vision of need. The shoots stretch up from the heart to the eyes, and you are blinded to the suffering of others. The spirit of goats. The seed of apathy that blinds us to people's suffering. To truly be the hands of Jesus, I need to put myself out there in a place where I can be hurt and rejected and misunderstood and taken advantage of. Maybe that is the place where Jesus goes. The shop doorway of vulnerability. The street of compassion. The place of the cross. Maybe that is where the weed of apathy covering our eyes is uprooted and nailed. The sin of the goats was apathy. It's one of my favourite sins because I don't have to try very hard to show I really mean it. 
But in amongst the seeds of apathy, I want to throw some crumbs of comfort. One crumb of comfort is that this story is a story. Jesus is not giving a literal description of the final judgment. And that means we don't need to get hung up about the details of the parable, the nature of the afterlife, the problem of eternal separation from God, and the protest that, as Reformed Christians, we thought people were put right with God through faith and not by doing good deeds. Those questions are interesting, but they aren't what the story is about. Parables have just one point, and the one point is this. Christ hides in plain sight in the lives of under-resourced people, and how we respond to them is the true measure of what we think of Jesus and whether our faith is genuine. And there are crumbs of comfort in the inspiring stories of fellow Christians, like Martin of Tours. He was a 4th century Roman soldier. The thing he is remembered for most is an act of kindness and a dream that followed it. One freezing winter's day, Martin rode past a homeless man dressed in thin rags, begging for food at the side of the road. Martin stopped and, amazingly for a Roman soldier, cut his coat in two and gave half to the stranger. That was remarkable in itself, but what happened that night made the story complete. Martin dreamt of the heavenly court with Jesus robed in a torn cloak. One of the angels present asked, Master, why do you wear that battered cloak? And Jesus replied, My servant Martin gave it to me. Or, if you are looking for inspiration from today, then come with me to St. Albans Episcopal Church, Davidson, North Carolina, where, in 2014, the vestry installed a sculpture of Jesus in the churchyard. No controversy there, you might think, but this was not a run-of-the-mill image of Jesus. A male figure lying on a bench is huddled under a blanket with his face and hands covered. Only the crucifixion wounds on his uncovered feet give away his identity. Homeless Jesus. According to the rector, David Buck, this piece of art is important. He says, We are a relatively affluent church in an affluent community. We believe that homeless Jesus is a very appropriate sculpture. It reminds us of how our faith should find ultimate expression in caring for the marginalised, according to the mandate in Matthew 25.40, when you have done it for the least of these, you have done it unto me. Tragically, that view, shared by the entire parish, is not always heard in the wider community. Jesus is not a vagrant, went a letter to the editor of the Davidson News. Jesus is not a helpless person who needs our help. We need someone who is capable of meeting our needs, not someone who is needy. 
Indeed, when it was first installed, some local residents even called the police, thinking it was a real person. Calling the cops on Jesus. At the heart of our Anglican life stands in glorious purity the inspiration we call the baptismal covenant. It starts with three questions. Do you believe in God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit? This is what makes our faith unique and it matters. God who loves us like a perfect parent who became human to die and rise for us and who now lives in us as our comforter and our inspiration. But we don't stop there. If our faith is real, then it will show itself. And so the baptismal covenant causes us to face a needy world. We have this wonderful faith in Christ, so now let's go and live like it. We have been raised to a new life, one that is to be marked by loving service to men and women, boys and girls, who are made in the Creator's image. We promise to proclaim the good news, to seek and serve Christ in all persons, to love our neighbours as ourselves, and to strive for peace and justice, respecting the dignity of every human being. That story of my humbling in London is galling enough. But there's a killer detail I've not told you yet. At the time, I was an ordinand. I had gone through the sausage machine of discernment and was now working my notice before going to seminary. Over the previous two years, I'd spent most of my waking life thinking about my call to be a priest. I'd spent days on end with leaders of the church who had examined me on my doctrine and my life, and they had concluded I did indeed have this call. Those three mornings in 1990 on the streets of London, I lost sight of the dignity of one young man. I allowed my fear, my discomfort, my prejudice to prevent me serving Christ in that one person. He happened to be homeless, but he could have been anyone who was not like me, whose lifestyle was different, or whose circumstances I did not understand. I hope one day to see him again, on another street, one made of gold, in another city, one that needs no sun or moon because God is on the street. And if I do see him there with his resurrected and renewed body, then I hope he has mercy on me and treats me with the dignity I failed to give him. Amen.